Welcome to For Fintech's Sake, hosted by Zach Anderson Pettit. Zach is managing director of an accelerator called Fountain City Fintech and VP at MBKC Bank. For Fintech's Sake is a broad look at the world of fintech. Building the future of financial services requires deep understanding of both technology and finance. From the perspectives of founders, investors, and incumbents, we will explore the stories of people living at the intersection of finance and technology. All opinions expressed by Zach and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect those of MBKC Bank. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hi, and welcome to another episode of For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit, and today my guest is Ash Hassan. Ash is the head of fintech ecosystem development at Google Play. Ash and I actually met last year at CFSI Emerge in LA, uh, and we've stayed in touch since. We became fast friends, and this interview happened actually last time I was in San Francisco. We did a little walk around Google, we did a little lunch, and then we sat down and had this interview. We ended up doing the interview kind of right in the middle of the Google Play partner area, which definitely has some foot traffic involved. So there are portions that I had to cut out, just kind of a lot of people walking around us talking. It was a very exciting area, but not a totally ideal area for podcast recording. So it's a bit shorter. Uh, if you love it, please let me know. Uh, we'll go do another episode with Ash. He is consistently moving into different roles at Google kind of all over the place. So uh, we can definitely have a further conversation later. Without further ado, enjoy my interview with Ash Hassan. Uh, so, so I'm a part of like medium family in Egypt. So my dad is an architect. So okay. he used to uh, take five years projects in every country. Um, I'm the middle. I'm the middle kid. So I already had my brother, which is four years older than me. Um, so he wasn't happened to be in Libya, uh, looking after a project when I was born there. So I'm not Libyan. I have the passport. I was okay. born there. And here, like in America, if you're born in Libya, that means you are Libyan. And I get mm-hmm. all this when I when I travel with my U.S. passport. And I say like, you're born in Libya. That Libyan is like, I'm not Libyan. So how many passports do you have now? Four. 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 Okay, so you've got Egypt, obviously, Libya, uh, U.S. Yeah. Turkey and the U.S., yeah. Turkey and U.S., okay. Yeah. And I actually was, I lived in Ireland for five years, and the immigration law there, if you live there for like five years, you can get uh, British if you lived in London, or like you lived in England, oh. and you get the Irish if you lived in Ireland. And I lived after five years, and I did not want to have like a fifth, because you can imagine, like, Middle Eastern looking guy with a beard... A little bit. It wasn't going to make it easier yeah, to get no, through security. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. got a lot of issues in, in the TSA. So, so yeah, so I was born there. I lived there for for five years. Then my family moved, um, moved back to Cairo. Okay. Um, so then when I went, when I went to high school, and I went to college. So I went to business school there. Uh, it's completely different than here. So I'm curious. Yeah, it's tell me about what different. what's it like going to university in Cairo. Um, so the so the educational system is completely different than here. Um, the American system is mo- more modernized, changed. If you go back to the UK, old UK uh, legacy system is completely different. Okay. So because Egypt was colonized by the the Brits and the French and and the Turks, <laughs> so the, <laughs> there have been so a, a few uh, a few Western countries exactly. through there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we followed their um, their educational system. So until now. Uh, apart from like foreign schools, like for example, apart from the uh, US, uh, uh, um, University of uh, the American University of, of Cairo, the AUC, or the Canadian University, apart from those foreign uh, modern schools, the entire 
the entire system is is the old legacy traditional British schooling system. And what's that look like? Like what are is it I take it it's uh, kind of pre-industrial revolution almost? I mean, it's like okay, so so let's say like when you went to college, like when you go to an exam, like do you have a computer like do you, yeah. like we don't have that, right? Um you cannot have a book with you in in, in your in your your exams. It's I don't know. I, th- I think the different is the grading system. One is completely different mm-hmm. the way they, they grade you. I, I think also the speci- specialization. Like for example, I went to business school for four years. You specialize in the th- fourth, uh, third year. Okay. Uh, so it's like it's few uh, technical changes, but mainly I think at the grading. Yeah, grading that's system. similar to the U.S. I mean, you don't yeah. re- most people don't pick a major until junior year or something. So when I when I came here out when I w- when I did my master in finance in UC Berkeley, that was a nightmare because they asked me for my transcript, my uh, my GBA and everything, and people was like, "What is this?" So like, it's like this is my school. It's like I don't know what this is. <laughs> like, we're not gonna take that. And luckily, um, I had to dig deeper. So like, it doesn't make sense. I had to dig deeper until I found out this issue. And I, I worked with a professor here to actually uh, convert my grades to the modern, uh, to, to the U.S. schooling system, and I got in. So there's there's another example of Ash hustle. Um, oh, but so going going back to like before we hopped the pond uh, to the U.S., did you have any kind of like were you selling candy out of your locker or anything like that in the early days? Like when you were a kid, did you have any kind of entrepreneurial happenings? Uh, I had that in like so so my family were a bit like conservative and my mm-hmm. family was like we had a lot of um challenges so like my mom and dad they separated like a few times by coming back so we had some, some challenges so we we have to be resourceful right mm-hmm. my mom did not work back then um and when she got separated from my dad she was not like she, she did not have any money and she couldn't work mm-hmm. and um my, my mom never asked anyone for money Right, so we there's a period like we, we suffered when we yeah, we started doing stuff like that. So, yeah. so for me, and it came really naturally. Like I just wanted to help. For me, like in school, they used to serve us meals, but really like packed meals. So what I used to do is all the kids that I'm in are rich and they, they actually don't eat that food. So I would take that and go sell it outside to like the the construction workers, to like <laughs> literally. And I made a lot of money from that. <laughs> That's wild. And then, and then at the end, to establish it, like at the end of at the end of the day, like usually what used to happen is like the facilities, like they have to bring the food to the classroom and they have to distribute it. And then I collect it. Then after like a few months, like I know the distributor, he would just mm-hmm. give me the stuff. He's like, oh, here's the, here's your boxes. Just take this. <laughs> it was fun. That's fascinating. That so was the first time for you mentally, was that more of a Oh, I see an opportunity. Maybe I can make some money, and like I like money, so let me try this thing. Or was it, holy shit, we need to solve this problem at home. I need some more money so that I can, you know, help my family. This looks like an opportunity. I need to do something. Here we go. It's 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 actually a good question. I remember my mom and what's happening there, and and she had a discussion with my uncle, and I overheard, and like she's really like not having money at all, and. Mm-hmm. She, to a point that she stopped eating, so she can actually like was food, right? Yeah. Um, when I when I had that in, in the back of my head, and in a, and it wasn't in that classroom, and th- it was my first day actually in school, and I saw like oh this food like like people throw it on the ground and like they just like they make fun of it. I saw I was like oh wow, so wow we actually don't have this food. So 
this is it just happened by itself mm-hmm. right and of course like when you have a box of food you're not gonna take a box of food home like it's like I cannot even carry it and outside of our school there was like in, in Egypt there is um, every building they have a doorman hmm. right and the doorman is not like the fancy <laughs> like suit like have a desk doesn't have a top laptop. hat on this yeah. is, no this is like people come from the south they're pretty like survival right and they give them these jobs because like just as a as a way to help them like mm-hmm. um, um, like um, with, the, with the lives so all these people they don't make money so I used to sell it to those people hmm. other kids right and imagine the kid that would be super happy like yeah know, I was gonna say yeah. I mean it sounds almost like a social good that you were right. doing exactly um, and benefiting and feeding your family as a result and, and I really did not make profit out of it it's like it was I was just selling it just to make just to have enough money and I would say if it was feeding my family, to, to be honest. Like, I don't think the money that came from that like, was like, okay, like taking it off everything. It was, it was a sh- something, something small, innovative that helped a little. Yeah. And, and the most interesting part, that my mom t- didn't take that money. Well, tell me about kind of working in Egypt. What, what, did, what did you do and kind of how did you cut your teeth getting into the, the world of business? I, I was a little bit lost. Like I did not know what to do. Mm-hmm. Our, fam- our family came... So, so our family is like that tradition. My mom is Turkish and my dad is Egyptian, right? Um, so the, always the tradition is like you have to go either to medical school or engineering school. Mm-hmm. Although, otherwise, you're like homeless, right? And it's like, okay, no, I want to go to business. I, there's no business. Like everyone in Egypt is in business. And yeah. like, like, this is Getting like, a sales job yeah. is not going to make your mom right. happy. And yeah. like, this is a job. Everyone has a job, yeah. right? So we. So one of the things is like, I disagreed on that. I did not like medical school. I did not like, it was not my passion. I wanted to be a businessman. Like I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be a businessman. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> but you like, wanted to do businessman business things. I, business I was like yeah. very like yeah. attractive to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually went to the music industry. So I worked as a sound producer with one of the top music producers in, uh, in the Middle East, North Africa. Like he like does all like the, um, digital mastering, sound engineering, uh, and production for the, all like the Middle Eastern like stars. Okay, stars. So, like, DJ so, Khaled of of the Middle East. <laughs> DJ Khaled, like, <laughs> was it? He was a producer, but for me, I was doing that. I was doing the digital master. So I started with him being his. I was his agent. Okay. Right. So I started giving him jobs and offers and stuff like that. Hustling again. And yeah. then I loved the music, and I wanted to, I wanted to learn. So I learned a little bit of digital mastering, um, but I made really good money. Like I was hanging out, I was dating a celebra- celebrities. Yeah, like yeah, I was like, yeah. it was fun. But then before I leave, I was like, I'm doing really well. Like, why would I leave my family, my friends, the place that you grew up in? Yep. Um, but again, I think, I think if, if you're a dreamer, you need to follow your dreams. So in what Egypt, was your dream? What, what was it that pulled you over? Remember here? I told you bank, I have to be a businessman. What does that mean? I have no idea. It's okay. <laughs> Still so after trying to figure yeah. it out. Still chasing the car. So after, uh, so American, the American dream is everywhere, right? Like if maybe, maybe you didn't have a chance, for example, to grow up in these countries, um, but the vibe there, the U S everything is like very like the perception, the, the of perception of the American yeah. dreams is like completely like ridiculous, right? Like yeah. if, if you go there and walk, people say like, can you please take me with you? And I was like, take you with me where man? Like how? Like literally, people were like, "Can you take me with you?" Like, I want to get out of here. So that that the perception. So for me, in the back of my head, like, yes, this is what, what I want to be mm-hmm. because I because I know like this is like the, the 
the best country in everything and I want to be the best so I just want to be there yeah it's, that, it's, that, it's that, as simple as that um, so I came here I came here in UC Berkeley I did my, my master's in finance and I started doing trading by personal like private ones I graduated in 2009 to yeah when the financial crisis mm -hmm. it was perfect like timing to come out with perfect a finance degree, yeah. I was like yeah I was like yeah I'm going from Egypt even. Right. Like, even right, right, right. it's like yeah. you, have, you have experience of course from where from Egypt I get out of here yeah yeah. <laughs> all right. So like, and all I mean was most was of your network in Egypt at that point too, or had you built kind of a network in in the U.S. being at Berkeley? No, I did not build a network in the U.S. because the way I was living back then it was completely different. I was I was living in Fremont, like in East Coast. Mm -hmm. It's a bed you call a bedroom city. Um, no one walks in it, but it's it's, a, it's a very quiet. I did not have money. Like I did not. I, I literally remember I lived here for three years I went to a nightclub once I did not drink not smoke cigarettes not anything else and anything else for that matter yeah, yeah, yeah. N like literally nothing like I didn't do anything I didn't go out you were focused I, I remember like I did, I, the only thing I remember work because I was working full time because beauty work is super expensive and I did not qualify for loans because I'm a f like I'm just immigrant just came Right. What was the job you were doing at that point? Uh, so I was working for a startup. This is Unitech. Okay. Like yeah, that yeah, yeah. So I was working for a startup. What they do is like they do um, <sighs> tech education. So for example, like let's say your bank, okay, yep. uh, wanted to buy like hardware. So you go to uh, um, Cisco and they buy this, all these hardware. So that with the hardware, with the purchase, there is uh, a predefined amount to train engineers and professionals who actually are, are going to use these equipments mm -hmm. on how to use it. Gotcha. So you get uh, training vouchers. A lot of the companies actually don't understand that. So you, you, will, you will have like a $1 million deal with Microsoft and there is like, for example, $200,000 worth of training people don't just get. And these, there are certificates like that. There's 200 grand sitting out in the world. Yeah, but exactly. And it's not and it's not going back to the um, to the to the person who purchased or the other one is just unused. It's kind of like a gift card that gets yeah, lost. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So my job used to actually call these companies and it's like, ah, oh, I, I saw an order. Yeah, I see. You have a gift card. Do you should spend it with us? Yeah. So how many interviews did you have just to get on board with Google? Uh, actually, that actually that interview like this that one was was not that hard. It was. Five. I love that five is a small amount to you. But that's what I'm saying. It's like five is a small amount, but like when I change when I change team yeah. when I change teams, I'm in within Google. Changing teams, I did seven. Wow. Okay, so you were how long were you in Dublin for, and what were you doing in Dublin? So I was in I was in Dublin uh, five years from 2010 beginning beginning 2010 to 2015. Uh, I did not live there the entire five years. So one year of which I lived in Buenos Aires, okay. and one year lived in Dubai. Okay. Um, it was not it was not planned. It just it just happened. So my role was to so my role was to um, expand Google monetization solutions in Middle East and North Africa. We call it Mina. Um, so, for example, our monetization solution back then was. Like you know, like ninety ninety percent of our revenue is coming from um, ads, yep. right? 
um, and ads like you have publishers and you have uh, advertisers like advertisers either you have the option to advertise on YouTube uh, the Play Store or sure. Google search or something called GDN or they used to be called GDN which is the Google Display Network okay. so how how long have you been in the fintech role and how did that come about like did you get did you kind of push yourself towards fintech did you get pulled to fintech mm -hmm. when I went to school in, in UC Berkeley I wanted to be in finance I like finance in general yeah and I like math. So I was like, there's something in finance. I need to finance some money and like just being a businessman, how to do this. Like yeah. I have like, you know, like I keep the picture every year, the picture gets complete, like a little yeah. bit more clearer, clearer a little clearer. Very slowly. Yeah. yeah. I was drawn by FinTech because it's, it's really, it's this, it's the core and center of everything we do. Mm. How so? If you, you read some of the research, and studies so have been done by the CGAP, which is uh, World Bank. Like they give, um, I think like 10 women in Africa, smartphone access to internet and financial solutions. Um, and what happened is after like two years, um, they used to, used to work as farmers. And then after like a few years, I think five years, three years, uh, they had their e-commerce business, they started making more money. So their, uh, their, uh, uh, their welfare just improved com significantly. They just yeah. It just changed completely, changed their lives. Yeah, um, finance changes lives for sure. Right. Um, so it's just like, like if you want to start your own business, and and fintech and finance overall has, like, has direct correlation on the country's development mm -hmm. uh, um, and growth. So did you kind of just like see all of these? Like, okay, this is how it's in the U.S. This like I see this whole market now let me try and create a job where I get to do this? Like, did the job exist and you were applying for it? Or did you have to kind of create this fintech ecosystem development thing that you're doing now? For me, I created my own vision to it, which is like an ecosystem vision where you touch on the regulators, touch on um, users, um, entrepreneurs, um, VCs, and incubation houses. And so what was like your strategy in the early days? Like, what actually, before strategy, what was your goal? And what, like what, what was your version of a successful outcome it's a very good question it's, it's very hard to measure mm -hmm. it seems but like. but it was more of a holistic approach for the entire for the entire um, ecosystem right in order for me to, to to improve the fintech the fintech industry or whatever you want to call it you cannot you cannot choose one part and forget the rest it's not you don't work one muscle mm -hmm. you work two like if you want to be stronger, you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to work like... Yeah, you need to work the whole body. You yeah. need to work your entire body. Right. Um, so this is how I thought about it. So if you want to grow the ecosystem, like you have to talk to regulators. Like, hey, regulators, I know like there were a few like bad players in the past. That's why you have like very... Um, that's why FinTech is heavily regulated. Yeah. But also there is one, there is a gap, which is like you have people that are financially, exclu financially excluded and you need to help them and you also have entrepreneurs that also have the best intention by the services and they're trying to help these users and at the same time this has an impact on the country so you're trying to put the picture and convince the regulators and that they should just give a break a little bit to 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 fintech entrepreneurs um you go to investors and say like hey like this is like one of the sectors you explain the value of these sectors uh of of the finance sectors and explain also the value of solutions for the underserved mm -hmm. because a lot of people 
when I talk to, we're just just mentioning underserved social impact. A lot of people associate those things, those, those two like three words, with like nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So if you go someone's like, oh, he's building solution to educate the the people who are financially excluded. Sure. Yeah. So well, I thought you're coming to me with like a robot advisor or like yeah. robot investor or like. It's like, yeah. okay, it does like, we have a lot of those. So you and I met last year at CFSI Emerge. Is this kind of this, what you're talking about right now, the reason that you've gotten more involved in CFSI? Right. Um, I remember the first call that I had with them, and I really liked what they are doing and what they're standing for. And these are like, when I start like my opening my eyes, through a lot of research that they've done, I started opening my eyes, right? Like, it's like, wow, this is interesting. It's fascinating. And we started working together. Then talking to entrepreneurs I found like wow like they're doing huge things but also as much as they're doing huge things because if you think about it it's fintech finance and technology so whoever's starting a company fintech company is either a finance guy or, or a tech guy person, yeah. and I don't think any of them would understand the other part yeah no you're correct right so I, I found like this is fascinating it's like small things that you can actually help them with they actually they will explode So this is kind of what you were describing as we were taking our walk before we sat down to do the interview was there's just so much really interesting stuff happening in Latin America and Mexico, but the fruit hangs so low for somebody like yourself that can go in and be like, hey, why don't you have an app, right? So there's a lot of momentum, but there's also a lot of very obvious best practices that aren't being leveraged. True. True. Like there's a lot of. So, so and again, again, I think I think this comes back from like the whole fintech finance people creating an app. They don't understand a lot about technology and vice versa. Yeah. I, I feel it's a combination of things. So, so I think it's natural thing to happen. But again, this go, this goes back to the entire ecosystem, right? So like the people that I met in Mexico, mm-hmm. that they're very smart, created solutions, selling itself, breaking even, having one or two investors. Like this is incredible. But at the same time, you see. The investors just throwing money, getting larger equities because in Mexico, for example, you don't have a lot of investors invested in tech. So, and you have a lot of in, like a big entrepreneurship community. They need funds. So, like the only families that they have the fund, they say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna they take bigger share mm-hmm. in the company. Yeah, it sounds a lot like Kansas City. We have big uh, family offices, so like companies that have grown into Fortune 50, Fortune 500 companies, then then the family exits, and then they start this family office. That's you know, right. They could be writing $10 million checks, but sometimes they're writing seed deal checks. There's, there was this entrepreneur that I met in Mexico. He told me about his friend. They had this company, like few f- the three families invested in it. After two years, the founder quit. And like, so the investor's like, what are you doing? We're just investing money in you. Like, yeah, I own nothing in the company anymore. So just took over the company because like there's no one there. Like the guy does not understand. He just need money to operate. Mm-hmm. He just like they pretty much all through their, their contracts. Like he doesn't understand. They took ownership of the entire company. They own the entire company. And then later he figured that out and quit. Understanding the term sheets and what the hell you're agreeing to, and you, you have to the, the pitfalls a, of what's going to happen. Not a lot of people. Not a lot of people yeah. do. Yeah. Like this, this the, the the guy that I was talking to last week in Mexico, like oh, there was uh, the, about the growth consultation thing that I was talking about. I think he's one of the smartest people I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, to, you cannot be. You're not. You cannot be like hundred yeah. percent like perfect. You like don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I told a couple of um, our portfolio companies that I was going to be interviewing that interviewing you, and one of the questions they had is what does it take to get featured in the Play Store? 
how does that whole like how does the back alley side of that work um fishing is in the place so it's not it's not it's not hard it's like th there are there are set of requirements uh, for example the ratings has to be uh, above 4.0 um you have to for example uh, follow the uh, the min minimum quality guidelines um, for your like app. Some basic things. Yeah, ba yeah. There, there are basic things, and there is a form online actually you can fill. So if, if you're if you know someone or if you're managed by BDM or, um, or or you have a relationship with the Play Store, they can help you get featured. Um, if not, there's a form online. I can share it with you after. I will take advantage of that and share yeah. it with my companies. So having interviewed Jimmy Chen from Propel, like most of his users are on Android, right? Mm -hmm. So I just I'm fascinated by kind of how people decide to go one one versus the Good other question. and like how question. You know I actually that strategy works. I actually yeah. ask about that. Um, I ask about that. I think a lot of people they have there are few answers. One, um, it's I think it's a challenge to find an Android developer as easy as to find like an iOS developer. So I think that's one thing. Um, the second thing, some startups again the aim to build a solution or prototype to go invest to go uh, pitch to an investor so they see like the people who actually the investor that they're pitching in they're holding like holding yeah, iPhones holding, iPhone holding iPhone right so yeah the so they're not if you go with an Android app they're not going to be able to test it even that's a fascinating dynamic I hadn't thought about right um, it's kind of obvious now that you say it yeah it, it is it is really obvious actually wow okay. um yeah. And the thing is, like, yeah, Android, for example, like for for, uh, for Propel, and like most of the users are Android because Android, Android is like I would say it's a platform for people. Hmm. Um, it's you should send that to marketing. Okay. Yeah, that was a, that platform was a nice tagline. Yeah, a platform see? for people. So they pay me money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, it's uh, it's a platform. It's like the definition of of um, um, inclusion, right? Because it's a platform anyone can build on. And it runs on any Android device, whether it's um, high end or low end, right? So like now you can buy like an Android phone for like forty bucks. Mm -hmm. You cannot go to like Apple and give them forty bucks. They're not gonna even give you a gift card. We can also <laughs> buy an Android phone for like a thousand. Right? Exactly. Like you can also buy but just complete badass. Exactly. Okay. Pay like thousand bucks, you can. If you're two, you can. If you wanna pay like forty bucks, you still can. What? What is a conversation that you wish was happening more often in the world of fintech? The one thing that I was I was I wished I wish that we don't just keep building solution on top of solution, stacking them on top of each other, just distribute them. Every person on, under the sun now has like a crypto exchange app, like like it's crypto trading apps. Like, okay, like can you build something else to help people? This is what I would love to see. I would love to see people like putting the money aside and instead of putting the money as number one, money would come. But just so just focus on solving people solving people's problem. This is number one. Two, as we were talking outside as well, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to create a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Right? Why don't you improve kind of process? So also it could be something very simple that actually sits on across platforms like maybe the banking system is missing something so like you can build a financial solution or or, or an invention that actually can improve all the banking systems right so this is having an impact so whether having an impact on an organization or industry or a country or having impact on the people lives
I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Ash. With that, that marks the end of season one for For Fintech's Sake. So what's going to change going forward? Two things. One, we're going to add a new format, and two, we're going to shift to seasoning. So one, the new format is going to be called Deal Flow. I sit in a pretty random and very lucky position in the world of fintech where I get to have conversations with a lot of really interesting early stage, pre-seed, seed, mango seed, whatever size the seed is, they're early stage companies uh, that I get an opportunity to see, understand, poke holes in. And at the end of the day, I've realized that for fintech's sake can be a great spot for groups like that to be able to plug in and quickly tell their stories. And I'm not going to just kind of share any and every company that I have a conversation with, but I'm really going to kind of apply a filter that allows for, you know, a sense of kind of seriousness to happen or a sense of kind of really real companies at the very least um, kind of being involved in the deal flow portion of the show. So they'll be labeled a little bit differently. And really what it's going to be is a 10 to 15 minute interview with uh, the founder of whatever that company is. Where we're going to start is the for is the Fountain City FinTech cohort for 2019. So we have five companies that have just moved to Kansas City from all over the place. Uh, Cupertino, Austin, Seattle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the goal for all of them is to work with MBKC to establish a partnership, to take on an investment, and to really kind of pour gas on the fire. So there's five companies specifically are very well vetted and are really interesting, I think, for the world to kind of get a little bit more of a look at to see what the future of fintech really is going to look like. So stay tuned for that. Uh, those will be kind of trickling out soon. Those will kind of continue on a cadence. And then from there, as far as the interview side of the show goes, we're going to shift into seasoning. So if you have any interview recommendations or just general feedback, please reach out to me at Zach at ForFintechSake.com. Uh, you can also reach out to the podcast or myself on ForFintechSake Twitter. That's just at ForFintechSake. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Pettit. Uh, the ForFintechSake website is ForFintechSake.com and would just love to kind of understand how everyone's feeling about the podcast as it stands today. Thank you so much to this community. I've just been kind of overwhelmed with the support and the general positive feedback. Uh, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm sorry if there's been any kind of where the hell did that guy go over the last few weeks. Um, very excited to say the accelerator is going well, and you'll get more of an insight into that as I kind of release these new deal flow uh, episodes. So thank you so much for the support, everybody, and keep on fintechin'.